You guys don't forget um, the um, Life Network gala that's coming up. Um, Benjamin Watson is going to be speaker. I, I am going to be out of town that night. It's driving me crazy because at first I liked Life Network and I, I really like Benjamin Watson, even though he played for the Patriots. But uh, uh, grab one of these. Allison can still help you with that if you've got any questions or whatever. It's a free dinner. Um, we just want to talk about Life Network. I'm, they're going to take an offering, I'm sure, for Life Network and things like that, but, but you don't, that's, there's not an obligation there. Um, it's important to, to learn about these things, educate yourself. Uh, about this and what's happening with that it's just it's just we're just I was thinking about this today um, quite a few different ways and times and um, I, I just think we have lost the um, I don't really think we had it but the American church thought we had the luxury of not having to really be um, serious and intentional and focused and, and sold out to Jesus kind of thinking um, but whatever delusion we were under we don't we don't have that luxury anymore and we've got to really focus in and uh and, and do some things and stand for some things i was driving by you know um uh, signs for a school board member uh and i'm just thinking to myself you know as we have to the christians need to mobilize for that kind of stuff we need to we need to put ourselves in those places in those positions so that we can make good decisions and um, you know, my district that I live in is District 49. I mean, my kids are all out of school now, but um, that's where <clears throat> uh, Isaac and Emily graduated was District, district 49. And, and uh, there was a vote a, a few months ago, a couple months ago, for board member, I mean, uh, for the school board voted on whether they were going to embrace um, uh, critical race theory. And it was voted down, and it was voted down three to two. And everybody was pretty excited about that. Hey, you know, we won the vote and it was voted down uh, three to two. There's a problem with that. There's a, there's a major problem with that. That means two intelligent, adult-thinking humans thought CRT was a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> People, people have trained themselves in the United States of today, today to vote with emotions and, and what, what would make them look good or bad according to the guy down the street. We're more concerned with what our neighbor thinks about us than what's right or wrong. And uh, that's a scary place to be. It's a very scary place. So somebody was asking me about it. They're like, hey, that was pretty good, right? We voted it now. I said, no, what we need to do is find out, and it's public record, find out who the two people that voted for CRT and get them off the board. That's what we have to do, and, and, and Christians haven't been as, as in, intentional enough over the years with this kind of stuff, and, and we need to start doing that. So um, I did, I did I've, I've had some questions, and different people have had different, different questions, so I want to, if you desire, I want to take a minute or two. If not, that's fine also. Um, did you want me to, to say anything about the bike ride, or did you have any questions or um, stuff? Um, it was long. It was hot. You know, I did mention something in first service I didn't mention in second service. Um, on the Wednesday of the ride, we get ready, and we're, we're <clears throat> this guy, I'm, I'm getting my bike out and getting it. I mean, everybody, it takes about 30, 45 minutes, and everybody's rushing around doing stuff, getting ready to start. And, uh, and this guy drives up in a car and gets out and um, starts taking a bike off the back of his car. And I looked at this guy, and I thought, something's different about this guy. He had, um, he had stripes on his sleeves, both sleeves here, and he had stripes on the bottom of his um, bike shorts there. And, uh, and those stripes mean, the different colors mean he's won uh, things. And those colors won, meant that he has won worlds as a cyclist. Well, I've seen people wear jerseys, like, you know, I've seen people wear the yellow Tour de France jersey, and that don't mean they're they want a leg of the Tour de France, you know. But, but I, I asked this guy, I said, do you know what the colors on your jersey means? He, yes. he said, yes, I earned them. So he had won worlds. This is a professional rider. 
and uh, and his and his outfit. We had these supplements we were taking. You got to take those, you got to take those supplements all day long. You, you can't drink water enough in 100 degree weather biking 100 miles. You cannot drink enough water. It's not possible. Your body be, doesn't. The, after a while, your body is not using the water the way it needs to. So you have to take a bunch of electrolytes. You have to take a bunch of other stuff. So they were they were given to us by a company called Hammer. Well, all of his outfit is Hammer. He's sponsored by the company that does the supplements. So, um, I have to say this. It sounds like I'm bragging on me, but I'm not. You'll understand why I'm saying it. I'm putting context in it, okay? I was one of the strongest riders in the, in the whole group, two, the top two or three strongest riders in the whole group. And, uh, and specifically going up hills, that's kind of my thing. And so we take off on this Wednesday, and our first, we go about three quarters of a mile, and then we go up hill straight. You all right, Aaron? You good? <laughs> You need you need another need another drink, Aaron? You need good? You topped off? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so so then we go uphill at a very at a very steep angle, about six degree angle, um, six degree grade, and you can see as far as we're going, it's about seven miles, very steep, and that's how we start on Wednesday, which is which is good. Your legs are fresh at the beginning. So I take off, and um, pretty soon the lines get. There's about 30 of us, and the lines getting longer and longer and longer. You know, going up the hill, and then two or three of us are at the top, and we're just really cranking. And we've gone maybe two or three miles now. We're really pushing it, and um, probably going 12 miles an hour, 11 or 12 miles an hour. And again, I'm going to brag about this. That's pretty fast for that grade of hill and what we're doing. Okay. Um, this professional rider went by us like he was going downhill. He was going at least 29, 30 miles an hour uphill on a six degree grade. And he just kind of turned and looked at us. I'll see you guys at the top. We're like, shut up. I hate you. you know? um, but it was, it's just interesting to see. And in, this is the way in anything that you do. Um, when, when you consider yourself good or, or, or above average or even excellent within normal ranks of different athletics and then you come across a professional, they're a different animal. They're a total different animal. And uh, later in the day, we, we took about a 22-mile 20, leg and, uh, and there was three of us and he, he pulled in, he came up beside us and pulled in and I uh, said, um, get on my rear that you know we're going to draft behind him is what he's meaning and drafting really is a big thing in cycling if you haven't ever cycled if you get one person in front of you and you've got a 20 mile an hour wind you're working at about um, 15 percent of what they're doing if just by riding right behind them okay they're doing this and you're just doing this every now and then that's drafting is really a big deal um, if you if you're watch cycling the peloton and stuff like that the peloton pulls you you can you can almost not pedal at 25, 30 miles an hour. So he says, get behind us. And we rode at about 25 miles an hour for 22 miles without lifting our heads, just right behind this guy. And, and then we started, right at the end, we started up a very steep hill. And, I, and I'd been watching his gears the whole time. He wasn't even halfway up his gears. I'm in my top fastest gear, as fast as I can go, keep up with him and drafting behind him at the same time and then we started up a hill and he just took off and and he looked back and realized he was leaving us so he slowed way down and then we kind of caught up and then we you know behind him on this hill and at one time he's riding up a hill pulling the rest of us it's a very strong headwind and he sits up and he's pedaling and he starts checking his text messages and we're all like So, yeah. But it was, it was really, it was very hot. It was, um, there's something about riding 100 miles and over 100 degree weather that it becomes not fun. It loses its funness. But it was good. We raised a lot of money. There was a lot of people. And I said this Sunday, I know I said it in first service. I can't remember if I said it in second service. But, but um, <clears throat> it, it was amazing to me, the people out there that came out to ride that entire 500 miles and they did it, 
And, um, and some people, they couldn't, like every day, some people got, it was so hot, some people got heat stroke, they got sick. So there was different people that wouldn't ride the entire 100 miles of every single day, but almost everybody did. And, um, and to some of the people that when we started the ride, the first 15, 20 miles, and I'm, we're all kind of riding as a group at first, just get to know everybody, and we're getting acquainted and all that, and then we kind of start spreading out into our groups. Um, I watched a couple of these riders, and I thought there's no way that they could do 500 miles. There's no possible way. But the reason that they did it is because they had made up their mind they were going to. It wasn't about whether they physically could accomplish the task. There, there, was, a, there was a lady riding. I, I didn't think she was going to make it. Every day, I didn't think she was going to make it. And, um, and not because she was a lady. There was another lady that was a very strong rider, extremely strong rider. Um, she passed me once, and I thought, that's not okay. And so I spent the rest of the, the ride making sure she was not passing me. So... Um, but but this this one lady I don't know how she did it I don't know how she did it except that she had heart and uh, and she accomplished it so yes ma'am oh we because we didn't decide this was the New Mexico this was a annual ride the New Mexico district does this is their tenth year of doing it and uh, and and our uh, four riders and Linda, we all went down. So one of the riders is our is our district, Rocky Mountain District, which is Colorado and Utah. He is our district um, Christian Ministries director, church ministries director. Linda is the assistant church ministries director. So they are in the district office. They work together at the district office. They were talking about doing something like this. Well, I'm the only one in our district that's ever done a ride like this. And so we talked about, I think they mentioned like 10 seconds. Well, we could plan our own. They said, no, let's go to New Mexico. So we went to New Mexico and watched how they did it. We rode with them. We still raise money for Speed the Light for our district, for our stuff. But we rode with them to see how they planned it and how they structured it because they've, they've been doing it a long time. And there was also uh, three riders from, four riders from Texas that came up and like three riders from Oklahoma that came and rode too as part of this. And then like 30-something from New Mexico. Yeah, just for our district. Yeah, we're we're we were over two hundred fifty thousand for all of the, all of the, everybody in the ride, over two hundred fifty thousand. And that's for, that's for um, uh, putting water wells. They have a tabernacles in villages in Africa. You put a tabernacle and you put a water well there, and a water well becomes like the focus point for all the village because then the, the uh, people don't have to go down to a nasty, dirty river and haul the water to their house because they're not running water. And so now they go to, and for the first time in their life, they drink fresh water. None. And, by the way, in case you're wondering, the river that they're going down to, most of the rivers in Africa are, are consumed with hippopotamuses. Hippopotami. And, um, yeah, all kinds of yiffy. And so that's, that's, that's a big deal. And so that's what we were doing. So that's why we didn't choose. I wouldn't have chose New Mexico. Um, the, the northwestern part of Mexico when we started up in Farmington area was, was nice. It was actually kind of cool the first morning. By 10 o'clock it was 95 degrees, but, but in the morning it was, it was cool. And it was also 7,000 feet, which is what, we're, what we ride at all the time. It, yeah, our district is going to do their own, and we're going to do one day or and then, and then maybe even some different, like in Utah. and one, but, but the one day or here is going to have different pieces to it, like 25, 50, 100, and then maybe a, a 200 for like two days. Or two. But if the one day, it's just going to be 100. Um, that's way, that way we can get teenagers involved. Teenagers can ride. Um, and, then, and then people that just don't ride regularly, but, you know, they like, to, they like to ride around the park every now and then. You can do 25 miles. If you've got a group and you, and you ride, you know, two or three times a month, you can do 25 miles. You really can. You just don't think you can. And you won't think you can about mile four. But you can. Anything else? Questions? Yes, sir. A few months. Quite a few months. I mean, in other words, did I have time to prepare? Yeah, I had time to prepare. 
Yeah, I had plenty of time. And I, and I uh, also, well, you know, I've done this before. And so I know what kind of regiment I need to do. And I know where I need to be like two or three weeks before the, the ride. I know where, I, where my legs need to be. There's a place I go ride up in the mountains on a mountain bike. And if I can get to the top of that and back, no problem, under a certain amount of time, I know I'm ready. Because it's a very difficult uphill. Yeah. Yeah, Youth Alive, Forrest. You guys have met him. He's got eight kids. He works with Youth Alive. Yeah, he looks like a homeless man. But, um, yeah, he, had, he hadn't touched a bike until, like, May. He hadn't touched a bike since he was in junior high. And he just, he did it. I mean, it almost killed him a couple times, but he did it. Yeah, he came, he was riding strong with me most of the time. Except for one little moment, he, one, one leg of one day, he rode with me the whole time. And we were at first at the, every, every, every stop. Force and I were the first ones at every stop for the whole 500 miles. Anything else? The very first day, my lip got sunburned and split open on the inside. And it was swelled up big the whole ride. And today's the first day that it's kind of healed up a little bit. But that bothered me as much as anything. The time I'm riding, I'm like, trying to keep it from touching anything. So, there was, there was a, I wasn't the oldest person there by far. There was, there was quite a few people uh, that were in their late 50s, early 60s, and a couple people that were right at 70 to early 70s. But, and they were doing, they were making it. 500 miles. <clears throat> Everybody that was in their 60s and 70s did the entire 500 miles. None of them stopped. So, yeah. Or complained, which is hard to not do when you're riding that far. I mean, everybody says, oh, it's hot, but that's not complaining. But Mike, were you going to say something? Um, not like a wreck hurt. Um, there was a... I, I kind of got hurt. <laughs> Second day I woke up and I, my knee was hurt, was really bad. And I was not going to be able to ride. And I thought, how do I do this? I got on the bike and I started up a hill. I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this. Which is not okay with me. I'll blow my knee out before I stop. You know, I'll, I'll be dragging it behind me before I quit. And so this guy showed me this KT tape. Have you guys ever seen that? Where they put around their arms. and do I'd, I've seen it, but I've never done anything with it. And I thought, what are they doing with that stuff? And he taped my knee up. In fact, I have, a, I have my knee right here is very, very dark brown. And everywhere else is not. Because I have tape all over. He taped it up like that. Never hurt again during the entire ride. But I take it off at night, and I couldn't hardly get in and out of the shower. It hurt so bad. Put it back on today. Didn't hurt at all. It's magic. All right, nothing else then? Okay, letter 10. Everybody was excited about Rick doing letter 9. Because um, it, kind of, uh, it kind of was for him, right? You know, the, uh, he, he just did a good job with it. So um, letter 10. <clears throat> I, I like it when he brings other names in. There is no reason theologically. There's nothing practically for us. Except I just like C.S. Lewis's ability to make names. When you read the Chronicles of Narnia, same way. The names that he comes up with have a verbal feel of the character of the individual that he's writing about. Right? So he starts this one off. I was delighted to hear from Trip Tweez. I just think that's a cool name. So... So what is letter 10 about predominantly? What is the, what is the, um, like the theme of it? Influences, relationships, um, that kind of thing. How these relationships are going to go. Oh, also, Caleb, can you, can you run a mic for us? Do you mind doing that? You look tired, though. Are you tired? No. Can you still run the mic? Can you? You don't have to. We can get somebody else. We'll let a woman do it in your place. You okay with that? Okay, he's okay with that. <laughs> Don't, these are steps. Don't fall. 
Allison falls a lot. Okay, so I'll tell you. Can I tell her? Okay. So we were up here meeting with somebody. I don't remember who it was now, but we come up and we were standing. Me and the person that I was meeting with were standing right here, and Allison was pregnant with Emery, quite large. And, um, and she's doing something, and she walks up the steps, and then he and I are just standing there talking. She starts to walk back down the steps and falls, rolls across the ground, and both him and I are like, you know, and I thought, she's pregnant, and she just fell. And then she stood up and said, I do that all the time. So. Okay, so relationships, influence of relationships, good, bad. As you start hearing about this kind of stuff when you're kids, right? You start having conversations with your parents about, you know, influences and friends and and if your parents, if your parents never ever said to you, I'm not going to let you hang around with so-and-so, that means their parents were saying that about you. That's how simple that is. Because you're either, you were the influence, either good or bad somehow. Um, I came back to a friend of mine years later. This was probably 10, 12 years ago. And he was a very good friend of mine, um, elementary, junior high, in the, in the high school. And I, I told him I apologized to him. I took him to church a couple of times. But I was always embarrassed by church, right? Being a stupid kid. And we were Pentecostal church, and so I'm scared somebody was going to speak in tongues or yell or run around or something. It scared me to death. For him, not I thought he would be scared. I'd be embarrassed. And, and you know, this is 10 years ago, and I, I had reconnected. 15 years ago, I reconnected with him, and I apologized. I said, I'm sorry I wasn't a better Christian influence for you, because I wasn't really Christian most of that time. And he said, no, you took me to church. He said, I gave my heart to the Lord one time and you took me to church. And, uh, and I said, well, I was kind of worried back in those days about, you know, Pentecostal church. He said, man, I love that stuff. It's, it scared me to death, but I loved it. He, had no, he was uh, very unchurched. And at that point in my life, I was kind of, I should have been the good influence, and I wasn't. Always messed with me. All right, the first major paragraph. Anybody got something that jumped out at you you want to talk about? I like how he describes the people that have bad influences. They're rich, they're smart, they're superficially intellectual, and brightly skeptical about everything. That yeah. doesn't always sound like a kind of person that your parents would stay, tell you to take it away from, right? No, but it does sound a lot like the intellectual elite in our country today. Yeah, it sounds like 60% of California. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, brightly skeptical about everything in the world. Yeah. Um, the very beginning of the next paragraph, no doubt he must soon realize that his own faith is in direct opposition to the assumptions on which all the conversation of his new faith is based. Okay? So he's having conversation with these uh, intellectuals, these, these rich people, these movers and shakers of society. And he's saying that... Um, uh, screw tape is saying that that um, the, he starts to recognize there is a disconnect between who he is and what he is saying, who he is in the conversation that he's having with these people. Guys, have you ever been there? You realize I don't, th this is just one way to say it. You can probably verbalize it differently, but you get to a point where you realize these are not my people. Right, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, not because they're rich, you may be rich. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but because there's the superficial, because something's not jiving with what you're saying and who you are, and and you feel like you're having to fake things or to agree with stuff that you're not comfortable with. Just you know, because everybody else is nodding their head and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you now, um, depending on your personality. Like my personality, I don't do that well. I don't, I don't do small talk well, and I and I don't do fake at all. I can't I can't do it. It drives me crazy. So really, my response to that most of the time is I just try to separate myself from those kind of moments because I'm going to say something that's going to irritate somebody. I, I'm I, 
you know, this, I'll tell you where I'm at right now. And in, I'm not saying like just with us and, and people that I know and trust, but like if I'm sitting on an airplane and somebody, you know, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, how are you doing? Uh, um, how, are you guys back in church now? Are you doing stuff like that? You know how much I don't want to answer that question? Because I don't know what they think. I don't know how they think about it. And I don't want to, I'm already sitting next to them on an airplane. I don't want to spend the next hour in disagreement with them or whatever. And, and, but I can't just say, oh, it's good. That's not honest. I can't do that. So if they say something, and I get that all the time, all the time. Oh, how did, did, did the lockdowns really hurt your church? How do I answer that question? The answer for me is, we never locked down. What? We never locked down. Because I, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to have the conversation. I don't want somebody to, to go crazy and go off on me and all this other stuff. And, and uh, somebody that, that I know fairly well was explaining this. Somebody come into their work the other day and, was, and, and found out that everybody there at that workplace doesn't wear masks and, and all of them are against getting the vaccine. And this lady just went nuts on them. Started getting upset and all this stuff. Kind of find out this lady goes into her garage every day, takes off all of her clothes and, and cleans herself in her garage before she walks into her house. So that she, then she goes straight to the shower and takes a shower so that she does not con decontent, I mean, doesn't contaminate her house. Now here's the deal with me. You want to just spend like three minutes and explain if you know how vaccines work. No, not vaccines. If you know how viruses work, you are wasting every second of that moment, those times. You can't, you can't clean yourself from a virus that way. It's not possible. But she's scared to death. And I don't want to have those conversations. And when, I, when somebody finds out I'm a pastor, they always ask about COVID. So I tell them. I tell them everything. We, we never shut down. We never masked. We never distanced. Our church grew. We grew financially. And we're about to start a building program. Because that is not the norm of most of the churches out there. Right? There's people, influences, relationships you're going to have the same things. It's going to be different contexts, but you're going to have the same kind of things. He says, I don't think that matters, I don't think that matters much provided that you can persuade him to postpone any open acknowledgement of the fact, of the fact that what? That who I am is not matching up to what these people are. And what they're saying is different than the way I think and believe and feel. And, and Screwtape is trying to get Wormwood to convince his guy, the demons are trying to get there to convince their guy to not to just kind of not pay attention to the discrepancy. Just go along to get along kind of thing. Get along to go along. However you say that. Um, so, that, so, that there, so that you don't really come face to face with you in reality in the, in the middle of this. And this with the aid of shame, pride, modesty, and vanity will be easy to do. Next, skip a sentence. He will be silent when he ought to speak and laugh when he ought to be silent. You ever been standing around and somebody tells a joke that is not okay with you, but you laugh anyway? Right? You're not okay with it. This is not good for you. Um, back in the day when I was working in construction, the, the, the normal stuff with all the guys is just to, to slam their wives, right? The old ball and chain. and the, that, that would drive me crazy. Linda's not my ball and chain. She's, she's my breath of fresh air every day. She's the flower that opens up and sunshine comes out every day. You guys can write these down if you like. <laughs> but but here, here's the thing with that. I, I Finally, after a while, I just got tired of that stuff and I started saying... Don't talk like that about your wife. She's not even here to defend herself. Because you know most of the guys that talk like that, if their wives were there, 
Most of those guys would not be saying that. Don't let relationships determine you. You determine their relationships. And, And I love the way he says your modesty or your vanity. Either one of those. He can use against you. Satan can use that against you. To, to mess with relationships. Down farther, all mortals, mortals tend to turn into the thing they are pretending to be. Right? A bunch of little um, idioms we use to say, you are what you eat, right? Um, you are who you hang around with. You are. That is who you are. And, and if you say, well, no, that's, those are those guys. I'm different. You're fooling yourself. Specifically, if this is long-term relationships. You are who your friends are. Unless for some reason, you really are, uh, this is ministry, and you really are trying to minister to them, witness to them, and that's the relationship you have. I, I, I am really, a, I'm a firm believer that, that, um, as a Christian, you, you, if you don't have any non-Christian friends, you're not really getting out the way you need to and interacting with people the way you need to. If something's not quite right. If all your friends are Christians, there's something not quite right. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's a guarantee that just within two or three houses on each side of you, there's non-Christians. So if you're not interacting with any of them, you're not building relationships with any of them, something's wrong. But with that being said, that's because you need to know who you are and you're the influence in those relationships. Those relationships don't influence you. Okay? If you, if you go to the block party and everybody's drinking and, and uh, somebody hands you a drink and you say, well, I'm not going to drink. Um, that's not who I am. Do you just take the drink? I know Christians that would take the drink and then just kind of hold it but not drink. They're like, but I don't drink. But you're holding it. <laughs> That's what makes sense. You know? Just tell them, I don't drink. It's not that hard. The party doesn't stop because you don't drink. Right? Um, There was, I I had a person who was explaining this to me the other day. They were invited to like a block party and and the party kind of dwindled a little bit and it got down to just like three or four couples. And, And three of these couples ask the fourth couple which is which is the Christian they explained to them that this that all three of these other couples are swingers and would they like to join in totally caught them off you know it's like I just thought we were having hamburgers you know <laughs> that kind of thing <laughs> yeah and so you know at that point you you have to take a stand now you can handle that horribly, you know, oh, you guys are perverts, and go running down the road, you know, or you can stop and explain to them why you're not going to be doing something like that. You know, that you belong to Christ, that your body belongs to Christ, that your marriage relationship belongs to Christ, that you're committed to your spouse, your spouse is committed to you, that kind of thing. And you're going to have moments like that throughout your life. You're just going to have moments like that. Anything as we continue? Are you having to explain what, to Aspen what a swinger is? Is that what you're doing? I said, are you, are you explaining to her what a swinger is? Yes. You really didn't know? Okay. Yeah. You're like, well, I like to swing. You have a swing set? <clears throat> Linda, were you going to say something? Did somebody raise their hand? I thought I saw something. Oh. Okay, um, the, next, the next paragraph. The first thing is to delay as long as possible the moment at which he realizes that this new pleasure is a temptation. This, this enticement, whatever is being laid out in front of you is a temptation. Because he's, you'll convince yourself. Remember, he said you become what you're pretending to be. It's it's amazing how 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 quickly as human beings we can talk ourselves into things that we know are not good for us, not good for our spiritual walk. I've, I've always been amazed at my my ability to 
to cave and compromise so quickly under the right circumstances and not even really realizing at the time that I'm compromising. Right? Everybody's sitting around in a group, everybody's talking and laughing and doing whatever and somebody starts to talk about somebody else and all of a sudden you're caught up in the conversation and you realize 10 minutes later we have been doing nothing but gossip about this other person and tear them down. This is not okay. And now you, you're going to look like an idiot if you say something because some of the statements came out of your mouth. Right? You guys understand what I'm saying? How quickly we can get caught up in something and, and, and even not even realize that Satan is messing with us through this? Right? Since the enemy's servants have been preaching about the world as one of the great standard temptations for 2,000 years, this might seem difficult to do. And this, he's about to slice a nice little theological thing here. The difference between the concept of all things in the world are sin or all the stuff of the world are sin and then you've been taught about that in church but then when you actually come across something uh, in an individual moment how do you process discern biblically understand if this is something of the world or not because it doesn't always look that way in fact guys it is very simple and easy for some of the temptations that we can be tempted with can look like good church stuff in the process. And, we, and we'll be deceived without realizing that um, this is not real good Christian thinking. Right? Do you need an example for that? Or are you guys kind of tracking with me? Okay. Oh, sure they do. We need to pray for sister so-and-so. That's really all you need to say. You don't have to talk about sister so-and-so for 20 minutes. That's no longer a prayer request. Right? Um, since the enemy servants have been preaching about the world as one of the great standard temptations for 2,000 years, this might seem difficult to do. But fortunately, they have said very little about it in the last few decades. I love the way C.S. Lewis does this. The demon is bragging on British culture, because he was British, and, and bragging on British culture that they really haven't been talking about sin much for the last few decades, which is good for the demons. The church has not been talking about sin much. And he's digging at the church, right, without making it seem obvious. In modern Christian writings, though, I see much, indeed more than I like, about mammon, which is money, I see few of the old warnings about worldly vanities, the choice of friends, and the value of time. We're talking a lot about money. Um, this was something that I, I saw a lot in the 80s and the 90s. Um, Lynn and I talked about this before. Lynn and I were youth pastors at a, at a very um, uh, name it, claim it type of church. Not really, but yet, sort of. And, uh, and I got caught up in this. I got caught up in God wants us all to be millionaires. If you're a Christian, you should be a millionaire. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be sick. If you're a Christian, you, you know. And I say it every now and then nowadays as a joke, as a sarcastic digging kind of joke. Somebody will say, man, I, I just really wasn't feeling, although I'll have a cold or something. They'll say, well, I don't want to shake your hand, Pastor. I have a cold. And I'll say, you can shake my hand. I'm, I'm a Christian. Like Christians can't catch colds. But guys, I was in church I was in a church setting where that was a theological thought. If you're a Christian, you cannot catch a cold. Because you are covered with the blood and the anointing of the Holy Spirit covers you. And you can't catch a cold. Anybody else ever been involved in that kind of stuff? I was, I was heavily involved in that. To the point where if you have a headache, what are you supposed to do? Deny it. Don't claim that headache. If you say, I have a headache, then you will have one. And I'm like, but I already got one. Well, don't claim it. I'm not claiming nothing. My head hurts. All right? Okay. And that's kind of what he's talking about. But he says, in the church then, I see few of the warnings, old world warnings, old, the old warnings about, and I love that, old warnings. We, we have the same mindset in the church in America today. The old school church thinking of, and they, they'll say things like uh, fire and brimstone preaching. Okay? 
Now, there's two th thought processes that. Sometimes what people mean is preachers that scream. That's what they mean by fire and brimstone. But that's not theologically what they mean. What they mean theologically is you're preaching about sin and hell and stuff like that. Well, that's old school. Well, yeah, I guess, because the Bible's old. That's the only way it's old. Worldly vanity, choice of friends, value of time. Next paragraph down, about halfway. Um, he's talking about the character of the, of the guy's friends when he begins to realize the character of the guy's friends. And he says, um, if this succeeds, he can be induced to live, as I have known many humans live, for quite long periods, two parallel lives. That's pretty heavy right there. That, that we as human beings can live two parallel lives. What are these two lives? I mean, there's a bunch of examples, but what's some right now in our society? Those are, yeah, I don't even know if that's two parallel lives. I don't even Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that. So, um, but like work life and home life, are those the same thing? Right? Are you the same person at home or you're at work? Or here's another one. Are you the same person at church as anywhere else? Anywhere on the planet? <clears throat> this, was, this was always been a big one for me. I'm saying this as the pastor, okay? I grew up in church. I saw this all my life where the pastor's kids were demons. Right? And almost all the time it's because the pastor was somebody else at home and that they were at church. Or they spent all of their time, energy, love, commitment, relationships with the church and not with their kids. And I was bound and determined not to do that. In fact, on this bike ride, I didn't realize this at first, but this happened four or five times. In fact, sitting around dinner one night, all these guys are sitting there talking about parenting and they got young kids and specifically young boys. And they're doing that and then they all would look at me and say, well, how did you do it? And I realized I was the old guy in the room. <laughs> My kids are already grown and their kids are all small. And so really what I did, almost every conversation I had like that, and I had a lot of them that, that last week, most of the conversation was, this is what I did wrong. This is what I did wrong. I wish I could have. I wish I could change that. I wish I could change. I wish I could go back and change that. Um, but then there was a few things that that, and I tell anytime anybody asks me this, there's, there's two or three very strong things that I know Linda and I did well. We did it right, and it turned out good. And our kids are now turning out good. Right. I made a lot more mistakes than I did good, but here's, here's the thing. is you, there, there comes a moment. I just think you have to make a decision. Am I going to be the same person at all times? Guys, who you get behind the pulpit when I'm preaching is the same person I was at home with my kids. In fact, they think I preached too much to them at home. They can always tell. I don't know how. It sounds different to them, but they can always tell when I'm about to sermonize or pontificate. Because um, they'll, they'll say, oh, Dad's about to preach. I'm like, I didn't change him. I didn't change the tone of my voice. I didn't do anything, but I'm about to preach. Yes. Because you, you should never stop preaching to kids. Ever. Right? Yes, ma'am. Chrissy will be taking the microphone now. So it's kind of funny, too, when your children are grown and they'll say, you know, they, they'll describe a certain situation that they were in and they'll say, I can hear my mother's voice inside my head. And um, so at first, when my girls would tell me that, I would think, oh, you know, I would cringe and think, oh, no, you know, it was like screeching, was I saying something really harsh, you know, like I was very self-conscious about like it. like the witch on Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Mars. you know, and um, <laughs> come here, my pretty. And um, I just was so self-conscious about it. But then it, it, they would say, no, Mom, it was because I, 
I was contemplating a decision or, you know, it was something more of a serious nature and I could hear you quoting a scripture or, you know, this saying, you know, we had all these little sayings that I would tell them and um, it, it was a positive thing. So that made me feel good because, you know, like you, we all have our mistakes and things that we go back and think, gosh, I wish I would have done that better. But then it's so, um, it's just so affirming when they do something right and you're like, oh, praise God, you know, I did rub off the right way on him. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah and even if, you know, my kids give me a hard time because I've always given them a hard time. When people look like at first glance from the outside into my relationship with my kids, they think my kids are, uh, that I'm horrible to my kids, my kids are horrible to me. But it's not. It's our dynamic. We, we love to give each other our time. And so my oldest, he's the worst about, yeah, I was standing in front of the mirror the other day and I heard my dad say something. I looked, it was coming out of my mouth. But he doesn't mean it in a nice way. <laughs> but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because why? Is it coming out of his mouth? Because apparently he thinks it needs to be said. Boom, I won. There you go. Right? But no, those are good things. I, I always wanted my kids to, to know, good and bad, this is who I am. I'm not hiding. I'm not being somebody else in church. I, 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 this is my perception, okay? I'm not, don't overdo this. This is my perception. I always felt like that most of the pastors that I was around when I was growing up were fake. They, they acted all fakey, pastory to people, but that's not who they really were. Now, I have found over the years, some of them are really like that, which is weird because I'm not. But, but I just want people, I want people to know me real because I don't want to have two separate lives. I don't want to have the church life. So I grew up in churches where everybody called everybody brother and sister, Right? That was expected. And then one day I stopped doing it. Do you know why? I didn't, I didn't stop doing that out of disrespect. In fact, I still call my father-in-law Brother Miller. Because I have to. I, I, he was my pastor first. And I just, that's a line, that's a bridge too far. So, Brother Pastor, I call him that too. So, um, but, but I stopped calling people brother and sister because... We would do that at church, but then at the grocery store, you look like some kind of weirdos. This is me. I'm not telling you to do something. I'm saying this is just my thinking. And it became strange that, that we, we, looked, we looked weird in front of other people in a way that wasn't a mountain to die on kind of thing. Right? I don't know. It's just me. He will not only appear to be, but actually be a different man in each of the circles he frequents. And that's the biggest thing is, when you start living parallel lives, you are actually that individual. If at work you, you steal things and you lie and you tell jokes you shouldn't be and you cuss or you do whatever, that's really who you are. Okay, you understand, as respectfully as I can say this, I know that who everybody is at church may not really be the real us. I don't think that's a total bad thing because I don't want you to be exactly what you are at home at church. Right? Um, you know, just talk sternly to your kids. Don't scream at them like you scream at home. You know, that kind of thing, right? But at the same time, if you're not careful, you start becoming the fake person fake side, you start, that's, that starts becoming who you are. Right? Okay, any thoughts about that? The last paragraph. Meanwhile, you will, of course, take the obvious precaution of seeing that this new development induces him to spend more than he can afford. Why would he be spending more than he can afford? Because he's hanging out with people that have a lot more money than him. Now, here's the thing. I, I have friends that are very much more wealthy than me, and I hang out with these people. But I don't try to be them. That's the difference. I can't be them. My, my kids asked me this when they were little. We had some friends in the church that we hung out with quite regularly that were extremely wealthy, very wealthy. Every time we turned around, their kids had 
the new this and the new that and the new that and and, and um, especially when we first got to the church we pastored before here this is 20 years ago more than that um, we were we, the church was small we didn't have a lot of money and our kids were young and their friends were getting all the stuff and it, it started bothering them which is normal for kids it's not let's not go overboard against our kids on that kind of stuff that's normal for kids okay adults do that stuff and then one day I I um, I came to the school and I picked the, the boys up and, the, and Emily and Linda were already headed up into the mountains to go to this retreat that Linda was in charge of and I picked them up in the middle of the school day and we headed up and we just we were going to be hanging out and we went through our normal thing when mom wasn't in the car we went through and got donuts a Krispy Kreme and we ate a whole dozen donuts my seven and nine year old and me guess, guess who ate most of the dozen donuts okay so and I told them on the way they were talking about this and I said guys do you realize that this other person that makes so much money and they were good people they weren't, they weren't bad people but they just had a lot more money I said do you realize that they're at work right now but as a pastor even though I'm Poe as a pastor I can come pick you up in the middle of the day and we can head up into the mountains and go get donuts and you're skipping school right now because I like it when you skip school You can ask me. I, okay, so my dad's not here tonight, I'll tell you. My parents were both educators. I never, you think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not exaggerating. I never missed one day of school and from kindergarten to graduating senior in high school. Not one day did I miss. So when I became a parent, guess what we were going to do every now and then? Skip school. Play hooky. Take pictures. Send it to my parents. <laughs> but I told him, you know, there's trade-offs. Just because those people are have more money doesn't mean that everything is better. Some things are not better. I mean, it could be, but some things are not better. Money doesn't make things. It gives access to people say money can't buy happiness. It can buy a lot of things that can give happiness though. It does. Money has power. It really does. But it's not everything. Guys, don't worry about what the neighbors are doing. Don't worry about the, the Joneses, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. You, you, you'll waste your life and time. Do what you like and enjoy. And just do that. You know what? Linda and I spend 90% of our um, uh, expendable money. What is the term for that? Discretionary funds. You know what Linda and I spend 90% of that on? food how to eat it's hard to pass up a, especially you see a little hole in the wall Mexican joint we're going even if we've just eaten we're going that's where that's where we spend all our money we don't spend it on Mercedes's and things like that there's nothing wrong with that okay all right he says maybe uh, meanwhile you will of course take the obvious precaution of seeing that this new develop induces him to spend more than he can afford the next one is to neglect his work, right? Because, that, well, there's other people, they're doing this, and the other people, they're doing this. Okay, but you be you, right? You be you. Be a hard worker. Don't be lazy. Don't, don't just phone it in. Do what you've got to do at work. Make, make the things happen that need to happen. Okay, spend the time and the energy. Well, everybody else is, don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Okay, and then the last one and to neglect his mother because he's always hanging out with these other people. Neglect his mother. That's not okay. His mother's, and you can see earlier in this, his mother's older and she needs help. And Satan's already trying to put a division between them. Right? Yeah. Um, something I like about this book is like uh, this week I was listening to a podcast and the um, Rabbi Lappin and he said, you should, you should have a, a friend that's real far on the left, because then if you, if you ever get confused about a decision, some decision you need to make, ask them their opinion and just do the opposite. And uh, <laughs> he said, then you don't have to worry about it. Just, just ask them their opinion, do the opposite. And that's kind of what this book is. It's like um, when, when he says, you know, um, these things are either sin or they're just really, really close to it. Spending more than you can afford, right? 
neglecting your work, neglecting your family. And um, they're just, it, it's like, if yeah. the demon says do it, you, you should be doing the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, do the opposite. <laughs> do, do, you have, do you have any of those kind of, I know he's saying this kind of as a joke, but that's not a joke. I have a few people in my life that when they, when they do something, I automatically realize that is not what I want to do. Right? That's a bad decision. Right? Um, I do this. I've told you before. If I, if I am not sure about something, I will turn on TV news. It's the only time I ever watch TV news. I never, ever, ever watch Well, unless you're sitting in an airport and you have to watch CNN. Although they've lost that contract. Did you know that? CNN has lost the contract with the FFA, FFAA or whatever it is. So, um, but if, I, if I'm not sure about an a issue, I always have two things that I did. One of them I cannot do any longer. One of them was I always made sure I turned on Rush Limbaugh and I wanted to know what Rush Limbaugh thought. I always did that. Now he's dead. Um, so I can't do that. Well, the next thing is, is I turn on CNN and I know what, I know what the wrong is. I know what the wrong thinking. I know what the wrong mentality. If there's somebody in politics or something, and I'm like, you know, they seem legit, but I'm just not sure. I turn on CNN. Does CNN like them? Well, then they're not legit. I'm not kidding about this. That's literally how I, I if I'm, but I'm not really, I'm not really not sure very often. So, all right. His mother, her jealousy and alarm and his increasing evasiveness or rudeness will be invaluable for the aggravation of the domestic tension. I love that. Anything, anything you want to throw out, not necessarily from what we've read here, but just about relationships, good, bad, that kind of thing. What? Nothing? Influence. I really do believe that there come certain times in life when you do have to separate yourself from certain relationships. You, you just have to. Um, now, I, I, you know, I don't think this way about family, but I do believe that that sometimes you have to distance yourself sometimes from family. Okay. Um, that are that are adults, not kids, right? But like for me with my kids, I'm never going to distance myself from ki my kids no matter how far off the deep end they go or how, um, how ungodly they become or how much they hate me. or what, I'm never going to distance myself. They don't, have that, they don't have that freedom. I am going to always be there. Hanging in the... In the and if they resist me enough, I'll move in next door. I used to tell my kids that. My kids knew when, we, when they were growing up. My kids knew. You know, the, the kind of kids that when the parents are take, t taking the kids to school and they say, drop me off two blocks back so that, so that they, I, they don't, my friends don't know you brought me to school or they don't know you're my parents or whatever the case is. My kids knew, you better never say something like that to me. I'm going to drive that car all the way up to the front and drive it up the front steps and then honk my horn and play the radio and tell you I love you as you get out. You will not diss me like that. I'm serious. You think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. I would get out. I would get out of the car and just hug my kids standing in front of the school just to make sure that their attitude was right. But this is the thing. is After all, my kids just knew it, and that was okay. My kids just knew it. Linda would always say, every day, as the kids were getting out of the door of the car to go into school, E for effort, E for effort, E for effort. Yeah. Isaac, because Isaac didn't ever, Isaac didn't ever E. He never E'd for effort. Emily did, Jonathan did, but Isaac never did. And he would always get out of the, door, out of the car and yell back the same thing every day. Pee for poop, pee for poop. You're like. <laughs> every, every day this was the conversation they had. 
Guys, I do think they're, they're as in relationships, I think what our responsibility is, is you be the change agent. Whatever it is. And you can do that according to your personality. You don't have to become a different personality to do it. In other words, you don't have to be a vocal person if you're not a vocal person. But you can be a change agent regardless of your personality. Introvert, extrovert, doesn't matter. You can be the change agent. That's not an instant thing. That's a long-term thing. Be the change agent. Be the positive influence. Wherever you go, whatever you do. Right? So how should we pray about this? Nothing stern in your spirit? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I think that's the right key. You want to have the you want to have civil discourse. You want to you don't want to be a jerk. Even even if you're not trying to be, you can be without realizing that you are. Um, so that takes prayer. God, I I need your help. How do I have I need wisdom. I need discernment when to not say anything. Sometimes you do have to keep your mouth shut. That's my problem. I don't do that well in those contexts and sometimes I can just sense the Holy Spirit is saying Scott this is not your moment just shut it you know and then when he tells you to speak speak but speak with wisdom you know speak with love that kind of thing but also know that not everybody's going to agree with you in the process that's not see, see here's one of the things I, I do pray about this regularly it's what, it's what you're saying but from my perspective I guess I pray this regularly God, help me know the difference between talking to them about you and talking to them about my issues. I believe strongly about stuff. Well, the Lord didn't call me to tell everybody that stuff. He called me to tell them about Him. He called me to talk about His love and His mercy and His grace. Now, in that mix, sometimes I do need to talk about this other stuff. Okay? I need to. Um, but not all the time. Right? And so I need to know the difference. Am I trying to win them over to my position? Or am I trying to let them know Christ? And, and Satan is working hard in our society today to muddy those waters so much that it becomes difficult for a good, mature Christian to know the difference. And we've got we've to be praying about that. So yeah, I'm with you on that. I pray that all the time. All the time. What else? Anything else we're praying about? What's the Holy Spirit stirring in you? Did you lose your hand back? No? You sure you don't have anything? You sure? Okay. Here's something else I think too. Is um, um, make sure that Lord, make sure your love is what is guiding you in all these things. Because when the love of Christ is what's guiding you, vanity and greed and that kind of stuff won't rise up. Jealousy, covetousness, those are all the things that will hurt us in relationships. That's how people can manipulate you. Right? You can never be manipulated financially unless there's some kind of greed involved somewhere. Did you know that? That's from Scripture, by the way. So, so Lord, keep, keep your love... And my, and my attention to you is the foundation. My love for you is the foundation, and, in, and everything else is going to work out. Right? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for the amazingness of who you are. You are so big, Lord God. 
You're so powerful. Lord, there's, there's nothing that any one of us in this room, no relationship thing that we're ever going to, to, to have to deal with that you have not already helped thousands, tens of thousands, millions of other people work through. There's nothing that is going to be brand new and unique to us that you haven't helped others with. And so, Lord, build in us the confidence that, that people have, have followed you and done well, and we can do the same thing. We do not have to let people play us. God, we don't have to, to be insecure and intimidated by other people in relationships and, and be manipulated by those things. God, help us not to be changed by people in a negative sense, but that our relationship with you will be the change agent for others in our life. God, help us to, to really, really get close to you so that our relationships are seen through the lens of you. And, and Lord, I, I just know that's, that's the best way to, know, to work the relationships. God, help us to see our relationships through you and, uh, and through your word. And God, help us with that. Help us with... Help us with knowing the right, the right things to do and to say and not to be, God, I pray against any kind of insecurities or greed or vanity or any pride, any kind of thing like that that would, that would contribute to us doing the wrong thing uh, in, in, in different relationship contexts. So God, we commit all of this to you. We commit ourselves to you. We commit our friends to you. We commit our family to you. We commit close family, distant family. We commit our church family to you. God, we commit our neighbors to you and our co-workers to you. The people that we just randomly run into in, in society and life, at the grocery store, or wherever. God, we commit all these things to you so that we can listen to you, know who you are, and walk according to you in all of these things. God, we thank you for this. We thank you for the ability that you have already been giving us that, um, that will that will help us to make the right decisions at the right time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> All righty. Um, grillers, tomorrow night, my house. That means we're going to have food and we're going to pray. No girls allowed. Except my wife, because she helps cook and clean. Okay. <laughs>